Oh, man, how can that be? Isn't that something? Yeah. I didn't know kids that age could laugh. Not like that. But can you imagine what that household's going to be like in a few years when the four of them are like 13 or so? Hopefully their parents are still laughing then. (laughs) Yep, who's the joke on now, huh? (laughs) Actually, that video has nothing to do with my message. I just thought it'd be fun to watch. Uh, Good way to start the new year, isn't it? Yeah, last night my daughter-in-law, Jen Cochran, uh, gave the message at the house group celebration, and she used that video, and it related, I think it related to her message, so uh, I saw it, I just thought, man, that, that's, that's funny, that's great. Uh, so good to see you all here, and you all know this is 2016, how many of you are surprised? Yeah, once in a while I think, man, what happened to 1990, uh, you know? I, you know, it seems, it seems like uh, we should still be back there somewhere. But, um, you know, God is good, and we can trust him with our lives. We trust him with the past. Uh, in, in fact, at the New Year's Eve service, these, this came to me, that when we look to the past, there are three words. Uh, the first one is trust, then the second one is forgive, and then the third one is, I can't remember the third one, Lori. Bless. Yeah, that's right. Trust, forgive, and bless. You look to the past, you trust God with it all, okay? God's bigger than all the mistakes. He's bigger than stuff that happened that we didn't want to have happen or even that he didn't want to have happen. He's bigger than that. We trust him with that. We forgive people because there's, there's nothing worse for our hearts and our lives than to live with offense, to live with bitterness, to live with resentment and wounding that, that comes from our, our own holding on to past pain. So we forgive and release that. And uh, we bless every relationship. We just say bless in Jesus' name. And then looking to the future, three words. First word, again, is trust. I trust God with the future. And because I trust him with the future, that leads me to my second word, which is risk. I can take risks. I trust him. I can risk. Do you get that? I trust God so I I can risk. And then um, the third word is bless. I'm going to bless every person I encounter. I'm I'm going to bless every relationship. When I'm offended, I'm going to bless. When I'm let down, I'm not going to take up bitterness. I'm going to bless. Just going to bless. So we have this hard attitude of blessing and honoring and encouraging and speaking blessing out. So um, that's, you know, there's something there for us that when we look to this next year, we're going to trust God. We're going to take risks. I mean, anybody here that doesn't like the idea of taking risks? Anybody? Okay. Some of us don't. We're risk adverse. I, I am a risk taker and I'm not happy unless I'm taking risks. And how many of you are like that? Okay, so somewhere between where we are and where the other people were that raised their hands, we all need to be in there somewhere taking risks. And you know, really, the thing about risk is it's totally personal. You know, what is risk to me to someone else seems like a safe move. 
You know, and, uh, and, and what is risk to you might not look like risk to the person beside you because risk is me stretching myself and moving a step beyond where I'm comfortable. And so it's, where am I comfortable? Well, let's see. I'm comfortable going into Kroger's and out of Kroger's without talking to anybody. <laughs> yeah, you know, we hear these stories about these guys that are out there praying for people, men and women all the time. Well, okay, for me, risk is I'm going to talk to somebody when I go into Kroger's today. I'm going to do that. I am going to talk to someone. Someone, someone I'm going to make eye contact with. And I'm just going to chat with them for just a moment. That's taking a risk and that's moving a step ahead. And, you know, you do that. And uh, before you know it, you know, you've taken two or three steps ahead. And then you look back and say, wow, I can't believe that I thought that was the safe spot. I can't believe that I thought I should stay there. And when I'm really enjoying being here so much. And so for all of us, uh, you know, risk in the vineyard, risk is, uh, is faith. That's why we say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And, and we all need to learn how to trust God enough to take risks, to enjoy the risks, to take them, step out into them. And... Um, it really, today what I want to talk to you about uh, has to do somewhat with risk, and part of the story has to do with risk. But it, it really, I want to talk about uh, breakthrough in our lives and spiritual breakthrough. Uh, how many of you are familiar with that word, like in a religious context, breakthrough? Okay. So, you know, breakthrough, it, it, well, it's almost like a military term. You know, when two armies are facing each other and, and there's a battle and one of the armies breaks through the lines of the other and, and they make an advance, there's a breakthrough, there's progress, there's advance. That is totally related to risk in our lives, by the way. But in our lives, um, when we say spiritual breakthrough, we're talking about seeing areas of our lives that we would like to grow in, that we'd like to move ahead in. And, and we feel like we've been kind of stuck rather than moving ahead. And, and I need a moment where I, where I can sense we're pressing through this. We're, you know, we're getting on the other side of it. We're moving ahead. And it, it might, be, um, might be in faith. It might be in joy. Maybe you need to laugh more. You know, maybe you need to smile more. Uh, maybe you need to get to enjoy life more. I, I remember once um, we were back in my hometown and my daughter, Emily, at the time, who is in um, her early 30s right now, she was a teenager, probably 17 or so, maybe 18. And she was sitting and talking with her two younger cousins, um, five, five, six years younger than Emily. And they were just laughing so freely. And I sat there and I watched them and I thought, this is just kind of like pure-hearted laughter. They're just enjoying one another. And I thought, why, why the heck can't I do that? You know, why am I always so uptight? Why am I always so concerned with what am I going to say next? And how's it going to come across? And what did that person mean by that? And what did they think when I did this? Or I said, but the, the, maybe you need a breakthrough in that area of just relaxing about life and experiencing some joy. Or a breakthrough in your marriage relationship where you see things uh, moving the right direction. I was thinking of this, a breakthrough in finances, um, a, a breakthrough in worship. You know, how, how many of us would, want, would really like to be freer when we worship? Just not worried about, well, is someone two rows back? Did they see me raise my hands or not? I mean, wouldn't you like to be, just to be freer, to be whatever you are and to express yourself? 
breakthrough in worship or breakthrough in health. You know, some people struggle with their health and ongoing one thing after another. But, um, uh, you know, I did say spiritual breakthrough, but I want to clarify this, that all of life is spiritual. Okay. If you know Jesus, then he is in you. Kingdom of God is in you everywhere you go and everything you do in every relationship in every moment of time. So there's no such thing as my spiritual life and then my regular life. You know, there just, it doesn't exist. It's all spiritual. And so where in my life do I need breakthrough? Where in my life do I need to uh, experience uh, a a step ahead? And how do we do that? What I'm going to show you today is this, that breakthrough doesn't come through our effort, through us working harder or praying harder. A lot of times, uh, you know, we have this idea that, well, I need breakthrough in this area, so I'm going to fast for three weeks. And when I fast and pray for those three weeks, that's going to be so powerful that it's going to just break through in this area of my life. And I'm going to experience freedom then in this area of my life. But breakthrough doesn't come because you and I battle for something. Okay, get that? It doesn't come because we battle for something. We get breakthrough when we have revelation from God about what Jesus has already won for us. Okay, that's it right there. When I understand the victory he's already won, I understand who he is. I understand who he's made me to be. When that happens then I am emboldened to act and to live and make decisions and choices and take risks based upon who I really am in Christ. And I am able then to step ahead in whatever that area is, whatever area I need, need breakthrough in. And so it happens as the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, as he enlightens our minds and shows us about ourselves in Christ, about Christ, about God's goodness, about what he is calling us to. Now, I want to share a story with you about a moment where I experienced what I would consider to be a breakthrough. And, um, and, and this, this was in the early 90s, 1992. And I, I had I graduated from seminary in 79. I'd been a senior pastor for like 13 years at this time. And um, it, it was hard. It was just, it was discouragement after discouragement and things never seemed to work right and everything I did seemed to make somebody mad all the time. And whatever I thought we needed to do to move ahead, there was a whole group of people that thought that was the opposite of what we needed to do to move ahead. And so there's always this tugging and pulling and and just discouragement. And um, I come to a point where I thought, well, you know, what's the use in doing this? You know, I, I can, I might be used better by God doing something else with my life. And so, um, Lori and I actually, she went with me and I went to a career counselor where I took these tests and was trying to figure out what else could I do with my life? You know, if I, if I, if I leave this, what else could I do with my life? And, um, you know, it was somewhere in, in that range of, of thinking that, uh, it was a Friday afternoon or fr- late Friday morning. And I was just particularly discouraged this day. And uh, 
the building, church building, was a large building with a lot of additional, so you could walk forever. And I used to go out and just walk through the building and pray. And I was, I was just walking through the building this day and just feeling really, um, really discouraged, like quitting. And I ended up standing at the front door of the building, glass windows, you know, big, you know, like double and all of that, looking out into the parking lot. And it's and just fitting my mood, it was a torrential downpour. I mean, the rain was just pouring down, just the kind of like where you just see waves of water moving through the air. And I'm standing there and uh, just thinking, God, what, am I, what are we going to do? What am I going to do next? And, um, and I had a moment where I didn't even think God spoke to us in those days, but where God spoke to me. And, and that's, that's how I would look at it now. But, but to share that with you, I want to back up a step and share a little bit um, about my earlier life with you and, and particularly about my father. Because uh, I grew up in a home that did not attend church. And there wasn't any real spiritual aspect to our lives. Although my father uh, had had a, a godly mother and a believing grandfather. My, my mother's parents were um, people that uh, went to church. I went with them on different occasions. But um, um, my dad was not a, a church-going guy. And uh, he actually didn't get saved until he was in his 50s. But in, in his early 50s, he came to know the Lord. I mean, it sure looked like he did. And uh, then, you know, later I wasn't quite so sure but, um, but uh, he, when he was a boy, he had been named as his mother to be the preacher in the family. And so when he was growing up, people would come over to the house. When she'd be introducing all the kids, she would pat my dad on the head and say, and this is going to be our preacher boy. And if you hear that terminology, preacher boy, it's kind of like in, well, in, in some circles today, it still might be relevant, but... Uh, he was going to be the preacher boy, but uh, he totally rebelled against that and um, just went his own way. And uh, he, he was a drinker and a fighter, and, um, and that's, that's how he lived. And no, no real regard for spiritual stuff in, in a personal sense. But um, he eventually, uh, in his 50s, as I said, came to know the Lord. And, uh, but shortly after that, he was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis somewhere in his mid fifties and developed a very severe case of rheumatoid arthritis. And he also had at least two major heart attacks. And, um, they didn't know that until much later doing testing. When he finally went to the doctor for his arthritis, they said, well, you've had two major, here's the kind of guy he was. He knows where he had the heart attack when he had it. He sat down for a half hour on the ground until he had enough strength to get up and make his way home. Then he went to bed for two days. Never called the doctor or anything. But uh, that happened twice. And so um, in, his, uh, in his 50s, he was uh, late 50s, he was very ill. Um, he, he died shortly before he became 62. That was in 1988. And... Uh, I wrote him a letter. Uh, I, I remember trying to talk to him face-to-face about stuff, and it was just so hard. 
And, you know, I'd go, I'd go, would go back there and I'd say, okay, I'm going to look my dad in the eye and I'm going to ask him this question. And I'm going to say this. And I'd get there and I just couldn't do it. And he just was not, I mean, he had a very hard time opening up emotionally. And I think that was all due to his, his whole generational thing, um, being a World War II guy and having gone through the depression, that, that generation, it seems, had a hard time opening up. But um, I wrote him a letter and just wanted to make sure that he really knew the Lord. And, and he wrote me a really great letter back and said, yeah, he was totally secure in knowing Jesus. He knew where he was going to go when he died. And um, then he talked about his mother and how she had wanted him to be a pastor and how he realizes that time he realized that that was really what God wanted for his life. But he, um, you know, he chose not to go with that. He went a different direction. And um, in this letter, he said that he would lie in bed on days that he was too sick to get out of bed. And he would think up sermons. And he said, some of them are pretty good. (laughs) And he said that uh, the former pastor at the church, even before my dad got sick, was going to let him preach. And, um, but he said this, after he said all of that, he said, it's too late for me now. He said, it's too late for me now. So, as I'm standing there looking out the window that day, and um, and just asking, what am I going to do with my life? I had this picture of myself writing a letter to my kids at the end of my life. And I thought, what do I want to say? What do I want to tell them? Do I want to say, you know, guys, I know God had this for me. And, and you don't have to be a pastor for this to apply to you, okay? It could be, you could be a butcher. You could be a teacher or a CEO of a business. But I knew Jesus wanted me to follow him. And I knew this is what he wanted for my life. But I went a different direction because that was too hard. And so I stood there and I thought, I don't want to write that letter. I don't want to say someday to my kids, I, you know, it was just so hard, I quit. And it's too late for me now. And so, as I stood there, and that thought came, went through my mind, then I remembered something my dad had told me. Um, he had uh, said that during World War II, he wanted to be a Marine. When he got old enough to, to uh, join the military, he wanted to be a Marine, and uh, because he viewed them as the toughest, and he, he was a tough guy. He was really a tough guy. Um, but when they recruited in those days, when you went to sign up, he said uh, they would just line everybody up that day and have them count off. And like, if you were number four, you were a Marine, or something like that. And he, didn't, he wasn't number four. He ended up in the Army. But he said... He said, you know, I was so gung-ho in those days. I was so crazy. If they had told me to run through a brick wall, I would have done it without hesitation. He said, I would have never questioned it. I would not have questioned what they told me to do. I would have just ran full force at that wall. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, 
I want to be that kind of guy, but for Jesus. I want to be that kind of guy, but I want to do that for the kingdom of God. I don't want any, I don't want to question God. I don't want to hesitate. I want to take the risk. I want to write a letter at the end of my life that says to my kids, I did everything God called me to do. I didn't pull back. I didn't hesitate. I went for it. I was all in. That, that's what I wanted to write. That's the letter I wanted to write. And so as I stood there and that all came to me, I walked away from that window with a new determination, with a new understanding, with a new commitment to the whole thing, and with a new heart about what I was doing and why I was doing it. And, and it was shortly after that that I began the whole journey of understanding the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our lives and the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and part of my frustration in ministry had been the lack of power. It was frustrating. Minister to people and I, you know, I could tell them Bible verses and tell them, stop doing that. But that was about it. And so now we're starting to understand the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but that moment standing there was a moment of breakthrough for me because it brought things into focus. It brought things into clarity in my mind, and it was the Holy Spirit clarifying it. It was the Holy Spirit bringing things to me that I couldn't have grasped on my own. And you see, that's how breakthrough happens. It's when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And when he shows us things that we didn't know or we didn't understand or we had maybe heard messages about, maybe even talked about, but we didn't really grasp it firmly. And that's where, that's where breakthrough comes in our lives, is when God reveals things to us. So if I have a problem being patient with my kids, the solution is not the newest best book on parenting. Might, might not be a bad book, okay? There's good stuff on parenting out there. Don't get me wrong. But the solution is understanding more the mercy and grace of God. Having revelation about that. Understanding how, grace, how, how his grace has worked in my life. Understanding who I am. So that I can live out of who I am. Rather than just trying to change my behavior. Does that make sense? You see, it's so easy for us, even as Christians, to think, well, I'm going to memorize this first, then I'm going to change my behavior, but my heart doesn't change. I recognize, I mean, I'm born again, so I can see truth. I see this is the way God wants me to be. That's the way I want to be. But I try to do it just in my own strength, or I try to do it through some human technique, when really what God wants to do is show me more who he is, and show me more who I am, so I can live out of who I am. And that's, what, that's revelation. When revelation occurs, then our lives change. And so if, if I need revelation, if I need a breakthrough in worship, if I'm thinking, oh, man, I just want to worship. I want to worship you know, freely. I don't want to worry about the people think, thinking around me. What I need to do is to allow God to show me more of his beauty, of his perfection, of his goodness, of his glory. And then under, begin to understand I'm designed to respond to him. That's what I'm designed for is to respond to him. 
And when he shows us these things, then our lives change. We, we, make, we have breakthrough, and, uh, and, and there are these great things that happen. Now, I wouldn't have necessarily thought this a year or two ago. I probably would have thought then, yeah, breakthrough. If you want breakthrough, then you've got to do these three things. You know, you, got, you, you, you do have to fast for a month to get breakthrough or whatever. I probably would have listed a list of things we needed to do, but, but this is just stuff that I'm really beginning to understand, that it comes when our thinking changes. Our thinking changes based upon the fact that we're born again. We have new minds, new hearts that are able to perceive truth. And then when revelation happens, we actually see the new people that we are and we begin to change. And that's the foundation for the whole thing. So um, I, I just want to free you from the thought that if you're struggling for something, it's because you haven't tried hard enough. Okay? I just want to free you from that. Be freed from that. Okay? Because, see, that, that's a trap. That's a trap. The enemy wants us to live right there. You know, when I say, well, I should be more loving, you know what Satan's going to say? That's right. You should be. You should be, and you better try harder to be that, or you're letting God down. That's what that's religion right there. That is religion right there. And so, what the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you know, I've already put it in you. All you have to do is just let it let it flow, release it. It's in you. It's who you are to be loving to people. Forgiveness is part of who you are. Patience is part of who you are. Because you're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. You know, Jesus said, my joy I give to you. He didn't say, hey, there's all this joy God's got off to the side there in that storage room. And I'll give you some of it. He said, I'll give you my joy. My joy because he's in us. And that, so it's when we begin to see that. And, and our eyes are opened to that that we can walk in it. So revelation gives us courage to be who we really are. Okay. It gives us freedom from guilt over where we're falling short because we're all still growing. You know, none of us are perfect. We're still growing, but we are perfect in our hearts. We are righteous. Lori and I were talking about this on the way in. She just read the verse in Genesis uh, 6, I think it was, about the pre-flood, before the flood. And it says that God looked at the hearts of men and God saw that the intent of man's heart was only evil always. And three, three modifiers there for the word evil, only evil, always evil, and completely. That's what humanity without Jesus. And then we said, well, you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, he talks there and he says, some says he, he goes on and he talks about these different lifestyles that are just opposed to, to godliness. And then he says, and such were some of you. He says, you were that. You're not that anymore. You're not that anymore. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were, you were, you were made holy. You were justified. You were purified. See, when we come into Jesus, we become new. And this thinking that I'm still, it's still the old me, same old me. Yeah, I've had this habit since I was 15. That's from the enemy. I am new. I'm a new creation. If you know Jesus, you are new. You're a new creation. And when you really begin to understand that, then you begin to live out of it. Then you're willing to take some risks based on it. 
And then when we take those risks, which is just faith, and we start to walk in it, then we just see more and more released in our lives. Okay, I want to show you a verse here, Romans 8, 37. Um, Really, in Romans 8, after talking about all these difficulties and hardships, he says, no, in all these things, he said, yeah, we face hardship in life, but in all of them, we are more than conquerors. And then he goes on to say, through him who loved us. So it's through Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Super conquerors. You know, a conqueror is a conqueror. How can you be more, more of a conqueror or less of a conqueror? You either win the game or you lose the game. It's not like you kind of won the game. But he says super conquerors. That, that means you don't win by a field goal in overtime. You know, you won uh, 48 to nothing. You blew the other. You're more than a conqueror. It's more than just a simple victory. It's an overwhelming victory. We are overwhelmingly victorious in life through Jesus, okay? And when we begin to see that, to see it, the Holy Spirit shows it to us. And we don't, and we don't feel like, oh yeah, well, that's true for most everybody, but I'm just poor old me. You know, that, that I feel like I have to make excuses for myself because I'm not perfect. And yeah, you, that, that applies to you, but oh, for, and, and I feel like I have to justify behavior in my life. What I'm doing is falling into the trap of the enemy and I'm denying who I really am. And because I'm denying who I really am, I can't live out of who I really am. And so to live out of who I really am takes this revelation from God And then just the risk on my part of saying, okay, if that's what you say, God, I believe it. And I'm going to step into that. I believe it and I'm going to walk in that. So um, in Ephesians, it's just just an incredible, some incredible uh, truths here in Ephesians 1 where he talks about revelation and how we receive revelation and how God uh, uh, speaks to us and changes us. But he starts off, Paul, this is Ephesians 1, 18 to 21. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and the saints. You know, saints aren't just exceptional Christians. The Bible says saint, every believer is a saint. You know, the word saint means holy one. And so if you've accepted Christ, he is in you. He has made you righteous. He, your, your old person's gone. You are new and you're a saint. And so God has this glory, uh, this inheritance in the saints. And, and that means that his inheritance is put into his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, what kind of power do you mean? Well, he says, That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Stop right there for just a second. What kind of power is at work in you? What do you think is the greatest power that's ever been exerted is the power to raise Jesus from the dead because all the forces of hell were set against that. Everything, everything in the arsenal of darkness was set against Jesus' 
coming out of that tomb. And yet God exerted his power and took authority over death. And Jesus broke out of the tomb. That's the same power that's in you. That's what this is saying. That's the same power that's in us. And we, need, we just need to say, oh, God, show me that. I want to see that. I want to taste it. I want to understand it. And when we understand it, we walk in it. And then he goes on to say, he seated him at his own right hand, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus not only was resurrected from the dead, but he's also seated at the right hand of God as the supreme authority in all creation. There are no powers of darkness. There are no forces in this world that can exalt themselves above him. He has authority over all of them. Now, when I want to back up here a second. Where it says light, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened. You know, to be enlightened... Uh, it, it means to shine. The word means shine. May, 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 may God's light shine brightly in your heart and in your mind so you can see. Um, if you're a believer, you have light, okay? If you know Jesus, you have light. Well, last week, I can't remember what night it was, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Went to the bathroom, okay? We all know that. So I might as well say it. I'm, I'm walking back to the bedroom, and I walk past. We just got new windows in our house, by the way. And I'll tell you what, new windows are really awesome because they're clear. And, and, you, and I looked out, and I could see the stars shining. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. I'm going to go outside and see what that looks like. So I put on my bathrobe and slippers, and I went downstairs. And, you know, you make your way through the darkness. It's dark, but I could see enough to make my way. And I get outside. And the moon is shining. It's about a third full, maybe a quarter full. But it was enough that you could tell the moon was there. And the stars were just beautiful and brilliant. And I could make it down the driveway and back with that amount of light. But if I needed to walk into the woods, that wasn't enough light. If I needed to walk into the woods, I might have seen the bigger trees, but I wouldn't have seen the branches hanging down. I wouldn't have seen the rocks on the ground. I had light, but I needed more light. And it, look, look, we have light, but we need more light. And you've gotten up at night and walked through the living room, haven't you? How do you do that? I mean, I, I don't just walk through it the same as I do in the daytime because I don't know what my foot's going to hit or what my shin's going to bang into. I don't know where someone left a chair sitting out or where I dropped my shoes and left them and I'm going to trip over them. So in the amount of light I have in the middle of the night in my house... I walk tentatively, and I'm careful, you know, and you're walking kind of slowly, and you're, you're really trying to be careful because you can't see that well. What happens when you turn the light on? You see everything, and then, then you, can, you can just dance through the room. You don't have to be, like, hyper careful because you can see. You can take the risks, and so it, there's truth that we have enough revelation to know it's there. And to kind of catch the outline of it and to believe it. But we need more revelation of truth. We need to see it more clearly. We need to have God turn the lights on so that we can see it. And then we, then we just walk in boldness. You see, when you see the truth, then you have the courage to walk in the truth. And to walk in boldness. 
And so, um, yeah, I pray right now that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Just receive that, okay? I pray for new revelation. New revelation of old truth. Right now, Holy Spirit, new revelation of old truth. Each one of us here have some truth that we've known for years that we need more revelation on. We need more light shined on it. So Holy Spirit, come now and do that. Just come and release revelation to us. Show us more clearly and more fully. Give us freedom as we see the truth of who you are your goodness and your power and your love and what you've done in us. That you're not mad at us. That you're not, (laughs) you know, God's not looking at you saying, you know, I generally like this guy. (laughs) You know, once I get past her flaws, then she's okay. But don't you think of God looking at you that way? I mean, some of us do. We need to be freed of that. God, if you know Jesus, God looks at you and he says, wow, that's my beautiful daughter. That is my beautiful child. That's my son. And man, I can't tell you how much I love him. No reservations, no qualifications, no caveats on this. I just love him. Love everything about him. I love everything about her. And that's the revelation we need. Because if I'm born again, I've, I've got a new mind. And, and I see and I know the direction that I need to go and that I want to go. That's part of being born again. I want to go that direction. But when I understand God's goodness and power and life in me, then I'm able to actually walk in that direction. Here's another passage, uh, Ephesians 2. Remember we just saw that Jesus is where? He's, he's exalted above the heavens, seated at the right hand of the Father, above every power and authority, all the powers of darkness. Jesus is above them all at the right hand of the Father. Okay, now let's read this next passage in Ephesians 2. What he's talking about here is um, how we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what he says first. We're, we were dead. We, we were children of wrath, children of darkness. And then he says, but God being rich in mercy. Why? What, what started it all? Because of his great love with which he loved us. That's, that's where it all begins. It begins with God's love for us. And because of his love for us, he poured his mercy out on us. And it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Okay, dead in trespasses. uh, You know, the the Genesis passage, evil only always, totally. And God looked at me even then and said, you know what? This guy's redeemable. You know what? I created him and I want him back. I want her back. And so he redeems us through his son, Jesus. He gives us mercy and grace. And it says, by grace, you've been saved. And and here's where I want to get with this. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so he seated us where? In Christ, the right hand of the Father. And what does Jesus have there at the right hand of the Father? He has all authority. That's why he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, prior to that, he had given his authority to his apostles. 
He gave them authority, said, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick and tell people the kingdom of God has come. So he gave them authority and with that authority comes power. Authority releases power. Authority releases healing. Authority releases life. Authority binds things that are wrong. And so he released all of that to them. And now he says, okay, now guys, you didn't understand this before, but I just defeated death. I defeated the grave. I defeated sin. I am victorious. I'm going back to the father and you're going to learn that you are in me and you are right there with me. And so we live here on this earth, but we are seated in a place of authority in, in Christ at the right hand of the father. Now, there are a lot of times during a church service that I'm trying to discern what's happening. You know, like some, some Sundays, I mean, you, you know, there's some Sundays it seems like, is the moon out of phase or what? I mean, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? The, it seems like it's just so quiet or, or whatever. And other weeks it's, but there are times that I'll sense that there is some spiritual warfare happening or attack happening. And I'll just pray and I'll just say, okay, what, if there is any spiritual attack happening against this church body right now, any demonic spirits that have made plans to somehow uh, create a subdued atmosphere here, right now in Jesus' name, I command you to stop. You got to leave. You just got to stop that. With the higher authority of Christ, I break your authority and your plans. They have to stop and be gone, okay? Now, a couple weeks ago, we were here, and, or a few weeks, I can't remember what week it was. But that same thing, and I just sensed, yeah, there's, and I can't remember what service it was or even, but um, I remember as I was starting to pray that, instead of me standing here praying that, I just had this picture of myself in Jesus. And looking down, and this is all dimensional because we're dimensional people. I don't think that necessarily heaven is, you know, like, like up and down. But in that position of, of Christ's authority, looking down, speaking with his authority. And, and in this little vision I had, I just saw an arm just go like this and just brushed any demonic resistance aside. And that was a revelation for me of what that means to be in Christ and to be seated in him at the right hand of the Father. I've, I've quoted that verse for years. But that moment was a revelation for me in that. I think I understand it better now. And I, and I, think, I, I think I'm going to be able to walk it out better now. But that's what he wants to give to each one of us, is deeper revelation. When we get it, things break in our lives. Freedom comes, and, um, and, and we have the courage to be what he calls us to be and to do what he calls us to do. All right, we're going to move ahead with the service here in just a minute. But, you know, I want to tell you one, one other story about my dad. I'm not even sure how this fits, but I feel like I should tell you. Um, when I was about five years old, uh, you know, my parents very rarely went to church. Did I tell you this already or was this the first service? May, maybe half a dozen times in the whole time I was growing up, I went to church with my parents. But there was one time when I was probably five that we were in church together. And I remember sitting there listening to the preacher and thinking, that's what I'm going to do when I grow up. I'm going to be a pastor. And um, I didn't realize this until yesterday as I was thinking through some parts of this message. That uh, I saw my dad's face. 
I saw the admiration he had for the guy up front preaching. Because, I mean, he, even then, he knew that's what he had been called to. And, and even though he wasn't really aligned with Jesus spiritually, he had enough respect for his mother that he respected what this man was doing. And I saw that on his face. And I realized that had to have had some role in, in what I did, in, in making my decision and in, uh, in touching my heart. And, you know, God just uses, uses uh, people and events like that in our lives to give us revelation. I mean, that, that was a moment of revelation for me there. And, and I, my dad, seeing my dad, whom I idolized, admire someone. That was powerful. And Jesus, I, I think Jesus wants to show us more and more of who he is. Because when we see his heart, then that's revelation. I saw my dad's heart in his face. When we see the heart of God, we understand better. We are emboldened to walk into more of who he is and what he's done for us. So uh, we're going we're gonna to worship and we're going to take communion as we worship later. And um, I just want to tell you, communion is a remembrance it is a moment that we say, yeah, Jesus died for me. He died for me. I am free because he died. I am new because he died for me. And when you come and do this, if you know Jesus, you're welcome to participate in this. We take the little cracker and that represents his body, which he gave for us. We dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, which he shed for us. And then we eat it, which represents our need for him totally, just totally to be in us and to fill us. Now, it's, it's not, you don't have to do this over and over and over to be saved, but we do it because, we're, because we know Jesus. And, and then it becomes just this, this incredible moment of worship for each one of us. So worship team's coming out. Amanda's going to come back up and lead us ahead in the service and give us our next steps here.